You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be looking at Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 40, and we'll be asking the question, has your sin been forgiven and your fellowship with God restored? But before we take a look at that, just a couple quick things I wanted to share with you. First of all, if you haven't had a chance to visit our website, we'd invite you to stop by desirejesus.com. And at our website, we have a link to sign up for our newsletter. And we've been encouraging people to sign up to be on our email list via the newsletter because we update you related to any content that we add to desirejesus.com. So if we have a new book coming up, we'll make sure that you know about that. If we have a new blog post coming up, We make sure to let you know about that. This past week, we had some free books that we were giving away on Amazon, and so we let those that were on our newsletter uh, list know about which book was available this past week. And uh, we'd invite you to sign up to be on our newsletter list so that you can be notified of those things in future weeks. So again, all you do, you just go to desirejesus.com, and you sign up via the newsletter link found right on the front page of the website. Now, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, today we're in a very consequential chapter of the book of Jeremiah. We're in chapter 31, and we'll be looking at verses 31 to 40 and asking this question, has your sin been forgiven and your fellowship with God restored? And in this portion of Scripture, we're going to be looking at something that's referred to as the New Covenant, and we'll be talking about why that's significant. So let me read for us. Again, we're in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 is where we'll be starting out. And this is what it says in the portion of Scripture that we're looking at today. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day, and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below can be explored, then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. Behold, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the city shall be rebuilt for the Lord from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate, and the measuring line shall go out farther, straight to the hill Garib, and shall then turn to Goa. 
the whole valley of the dead bodies and the ashes, and all the fields as far as the brook Kidron, to the corner of the horse gate toward the east, shall be sacred to the Lord. It shall not be plucked up or overthrown any more forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you for the privilege of being able to look at it together today. And Lord, we pray that as we look at this portion of Scripture that describes the new covenant, that you'd help us to understand its significance and why it's consequential for us as believers in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we're grateful for this portion of Scripture, and we're grateful for the fact that through your Son, Jesus Christ, our sin is forgiven and our fellowship with you is restored. So by your grace, we pray that you would remind us of these facts as we take a look at this portion of Scripture together today. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever made a promise to God? And when you did that, or if you did that, did you keep it? (laughs) I remember when I was 12 years old, and by the way, I'll just warn you ahead of time that there's a portion of this story that's, I think, a little bit disturbing or a little bit gross. So if you don't like that, skip ahead just just a moment or two. But I remember when I was 12 years old, and a friend of mine offered me some chewing tobacco. And I knew better than to try it, but I tried it anyway. And as gross as this sounds... He encouraged me and another friend who was also there to swallow the saliva that was generated while we were chewing it instead of spitting it out. So you've seen how how chewing tobacco works. You spit the juice out, right? Well, I took his advice and I actually swallowed the juice. And within minutes, I went from feeling healthy and fine to feeling like I had the worst case of the flu. My stomach was upset, and my head was pounding, and it felt like the sick feeling that I was feeling in that moment would never, ever go away. And so in that moment, I remember, I made a promise to God. I promised him that if he helped me to feel better, I would never chew tobacco again. And I remember in about an hour or so, I I started to feel a little bit better. But of course, instead of keeping my promise, I started to use tobacco in just about every form for the next two years. And I have to confess, in my early teen years, that was a very difficult thing to stop. For me, it was a very difficult process to stop, a very difficult addiction to break. And in the process, I made many promises to God that I broke. And throughout the scriptures, we're told of various covenants or agreements that God has made with his people. And interestingly, he always keeps his end of the agreement while his people have a consistent tendency to break theirs. But one of the covenants God initiated, the new covenant, offers us the opportunity to have our sin permanently forgiven and our fellowship with God restored forever. And this portion of Jeremiah's book speaks of that covenant. It's called the New Covenant. Now, as we think about this concept, as we think about this forgiveness that we receive from the Lord, as we think about having our fellowship with him restored forever, and as we think about it all in light of this new covenant that's spoken of here in Jeremiah chapter 31, it's probably useful to ask a few questions about this. And one of the questions that I think that's useful for us to ask is this, 
Why is the new covenant that's spoken of in this passage different from the old covenant? Let me reread the opening verses that we looked at, verse 31 and verse 32. They say this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So as we've been working our way through the book of Jeremiah, there have been quite a few challenging chapters that we've come across. We've watched as the Lord has directly confronted the people of Judah of their sin, how he has warned them of impending captivity, how he has disciplined them with the goal of stripping away their love for their idols. And we've seen all of these things take place, but now the Lord was revealing something through Jeremiah that the people of Judah and ultimately all people could find great joy in. He was revealing that the time would come when a new covenant would be made with his people. Biblical covenants were initiated or sealed with the shedding of blood. The covenant God made with Abraham that you could see back in Genesis 15, and the covenant that God made with Moses that's described in Hebrews chapter 9 required the shedding of blood. And likewise, the new covenant would also require the shedding of blood. Specifically, the blood of Christ would be shed to seal this covenant. In fact, look at what Jesus said in the book of Luke, chapter 22, verses 19 and 20. It says this, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now, as many times as you've probably heard uh, Luke chapter 22 referenced or read, I wonder how many times we've actually thought of that in the context of the covenants that are described in Scripture, and I wonder if we've ever tied it in our minds to what Jeremiah is speaking about here in Jeremiah chapter 31, because that's exactly what Jesus was referencing. He's referencing this new covenant that's described here in Jeremiah 31. And in revealing the promise of a new covenant that was going to be inaugurated at a future date, the Lord revealed to Jeremiah that it was going to be different from the Old Covenant. Jeremiah was told that it wouldn't be like the covenant that God had made with Moses and the people of Israel when they were rescued out of Egypt. They broke that covenant, but the New Covenant won't be broken. Under the Old Covenant, strict adherence to the Mosaic Law was required, as were daily animal sacrifices. And there's nothing wrong with the requirements of the Old Covenant. But the people quickly learned that our sinfulness prevents us from being able to keep it perfectly. Effectively, instead of taking care of our problem with sin, the Old Covenant made it abundantly clear to us just how sinful we were and just how much we needed God to rescue or save us from our sin. And that's exactly what the Lord wanted the Old Covenant to accomplish for us. In the fullness of time, when it was abundantly established that it was impossible for us to keep the requirements of the Old Covenant, 
God interjected himself into human history in a unique way. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took on flesh and walked among us. He never sinned. He kept the requirements of the Old Covenant perfectly for us. Then he went to the cross and shed his blood as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. No more animal sacrifices would be required because the ultimate sacrifice had been made. The new covenant was sealed with the blood of Christ. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, it says this, Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Jesus is the mediator of that covenant. Jesus has accomplished that on our behalf, and through him we find forgiveness of our sin. As we continue looking through Jeremiah chapter 31, there's another question that I think is useful to ask in light of what's revealed in this passage, and that's this. What is the Lord intentionally writing on our hearts as part of this new covenant? Well, when you look at verses 33 and 34, they tell us this. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. To the left of my desk, I have several things taped to the wall in my office. I have a copy of the church calendar, and I have several notes about related ministries that I'm involved in. And in addition to that, I have a personal checklist regarding major things that I want to get done each week as the pastor of our church and the days that I have promised myself that I'm going to try and get these things done. And it's a list that I try not to break, and I actually wrote it down because it's a visible reminder to me that helps me keep some very obvious parts of my weekly work schedule on track. Now, to the right of my desk, I also have something, and that's a bowl of miniature candy bars with almonds in them, but that's a separate discussion. (laughs) Uh, But likewise, when the Lord communicated his law to the people of Israel under the Old Covenant, what he did was he inscribed the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone. And these commandments were inscribed on these tablets of stone as a visible reminder of God's moral law. It was something that could be looked at. It was something that could be seen. In fact, lately, our family has been reviewing the Ten Commandments together during our evening devotional times, just walking through them, making sure that we all have them committed to memory, and discussing what they mean and some of their implications for our day-to-day living. Now, the message of the New Covenant, however, isn't written on tablets of stone. When we trust in Jesus Christ and receive his gift of salvation from our sin, he wrote his law on our hearts. As people who live under the new covenant, we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. He counsels us not just from the outside, but from the inside, pointing our hearts toward the truth.
and he invites us to pray. He gives us the right words to say to others. He leads us where he wants us to go. He helps us to discern truth from error, and he keeps us sensitive to the heart of God. Likewise, we've been given the assurance that through faith in Jesus Christ, who is the mediator of the new covenant, our sin is completely forgiven and will not be held against us because it was already held against him. The Lord assures us that he will remember our sin no more. A third question that I think is worth asking when we look at Jeremiah chapter 31, particularly the verses that we're looking at today, relates to God's promises. And the question that I'm asking as I look at this passage is this, can God's promises to his people be sabotaged? Look at verse 35 down to verse 37. It says this, Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below can be explored, then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. So I'm asking the question as I look at this passage, can God's promises to his people be sabotaged? I want us to think about the word sabotage for just a moment as we look at this portion of Jeremiah 31. To sabotage means to deliberately destroy something. It's actually a term that's often used in a military or political sense. And actually, if you took the time to look up the word sabotage online, you would see that one of the primary ways that people have been trying to sabotage others in modern day is through the distribution of harmful software that destroys or takes hostage a computer system. In fact, just recently I received a phone message, and uh, when I listened to the message, it was from a robotic voice, so it was one of those computer voices talking, and the voice claimed to be from Microsoft. And obviously you could spot a scam a mile away there, right? But it threatened that if I did not give it access to my computer, I would lose access to any Microsoft-related programs that I had paid for or were in my system. Now, ironically... I don't use any Microsoft-related programs, and thankfully I wasn't gullible enough to fall for this tactic. But when you look at this portion of Scripture, it tells us that God has plans that cannot be sabotaged. He plans for His people to be a nation before Him for all time. He does not plan to cast off his people forever, even though there were many examples of rebellion among his people. Rather, his plan is to offer rescue and redemption through Jesus, the Son of God. God kept his word regarding the old covenant, but his people broke the agreement. The new covenant, however, will never be broken and will never be sabotaged. Even though Satan tries his best to thwart people from accepting the truth of the gospel and tries to hinder people from seeing the light of Christ, God's plan to build a family and to draw them close to himself will not be stopped. 
Now, there's one other question that I think is useful to ask as we look at this section of Jeremiah 31. And that final question is this. Will the reign of Christ ever be overthrown? Look at verse 38 down to verse 40. It says this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the city shall be rebuilt for the Lord from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate. And the measuring line shall go out farther, straight to the hill Garib, and shall then turn to Goa. The whole valley of the dead bodies and the ashes, and all the fields as far as the brook Kidron, to the corner of the horse gate toward the east, shall be sacred to the Lord. It shall not be plucked up or overthrown any more forever. Now, at the time this scripture was being written, The city of Jerusalem was in calamity. It suffered from ungodly leadership, internal idolatry, and destruction from the nation of Babylon. And even still, no earthly force has the power to thwart God's ultimate plans for humanity or creation. Prophetically, we're told in this passage that the borders of Jerusalem will be expanded. The city would be rebuilt for the Lord. And a day would come when the city would not be plucked up or overthrown ever again. Now, when we look at this scripture in conjunction with the rest of God's word, we're told that a day is coming when Jesus Christ will return from heaven to reign over the earth from the city of Jerusalem. We're also told that at that time, the nations of the earth will make a point to travel to Jerusalem, to be taught by him and learn to walk in his paths. In fact, it tells us in the book of Isaiah, chapter 2, verse 3, it says this, And many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, it says this, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The point that's being made here is that the reign of Christ is coming and will not be overthrown. Likewise, we have the privilege right now to welcome his reign in our minds and in our hearts. Someone once wrote and asked Emily Post, who was the etiquette expert of another generation, What is the correct procedure when one is invited to the White House but has a previous engagement? And this is what Emily Post replied. She said, An invitation to dine at the White House is a command, and it automatically cancels any other engagement. In our case, it's valuable to ask the questions, Have I responded to Christ's invitation, and is he ruling on the throne of my heart? There is an answer to those questions for all of us. For some of us, 
we're the one trying to reign on that throne. Maybe some of us have heroes or gurus that we're inviting to reign on that throne. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the author and perfecter of our faith, the mediator of the new covenant, our eternal King, is the only one who should be given that place of prominence in our lives. Has your sin been forgiven and your fellowship with God restored? If you've come to a place of genuine faith in Jesus Christ, the answer is yes. You are under the protection of the sealed promises of the new covenant and assured a place in Christ's kingdom forever. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege to be able to look at it together today. We thank you, Lord, for helping us to see that your new covenant is something that has significance for us, not only now, but for all time. So, Lord, we pray that we would be people who take advantage of the fact that we can have our sins forgiven and our fellowship with you restored through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, the one who is the mediator of the new covenant, the one who fulfilled the requirements of the old covenant for us and ushered in the new covenant with the shedding of his blood. We're grateful, Lord, that you have accomplished this on our behalf, and we're grateful for the privilege to experience forgiveness and new life, and even to be a part of your eternal kingdom through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, help us to take these things to mind and to heart today. We pray that your Son would reign and rule on the throne of our hearts, and that we would walk with you faithfully in every context that you place us in. We thank you for this all. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. As I mentioned at the start of this episode, we'd invite you to stop by DesireJesus.com and get on our email list if you're not already on it. You'll see the newsletter link in two spots right on the front page. It's front and center right in the middle of the page, but it's also in the top right of the homepage of our website. But stop by DesireJesus.com this week and sign up to be on that email list so that we can notify you when new content Content is posted on the website. We hope it's beneficial to you. It's certainly intended to be so, and we get a lot of feedback from listeners that say that it's an encouragement to them and their faith. So we're grateful for that, and we want to continue to produce that content and make sure that you know that it's out there and that it's available to download. But that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week, and we look forward to catching up with you again right here next Monday. Take care. Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on the Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. 
Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life. Because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once. 